Well, welcome again to the final week of God's Odds. A study of the book of Esther, as we've seen the rags to riches story of the Jewish orphan girl raised by her cousin, as we've seen the uh, unexpected rise of a Jewish man who's identified that way over and over again as Mordecai the Jew, uh, to a position of prominence and power like no other in the Persian Empire, uh, right-hand man of King Xerxes. To see the deliverance of God's people, they went from funerals to festivals last week. Uh, the, the death sentence that was theirs became a victory uh, that went against the odds. All those things have transpired over the first five weeks. Like we've heard how it all played out, but there's one more week left uh, to unpack. And what I pray today is, is not so much that we stop and pause it and think about what they did, but what we can learn from these last few verses in the book of Esther, some truths that matter, which are truths that mattered to them and how we can apply them. So as you think about it, and in order to apply it, I, I want you to think about celebrations. Like the things that you celebrate. What is it if I asked you to take out that pocket calendar that some of you have in your purse, because that's still what you like, you write it down, you make notes, you don't want to miss anything. What is it I would find if I paged through January, February, through all the way through December, that if I asked you to produce the calendars that you have written in for the last five years, it would be the same. Like what events, what items, what things made your calendar because they are times to stop and pause and celebrate. Like if I looked at it, I, I would find some that repeat every year, right? Major holidays, major, fe major festivals, Christian ones, personal ones, uh, national ones that we as Americans stop and pause. What is it that we celebrate? What is it you celebrate? And I bring it up because we're going to talk about a celebration today in our text. One that the Jews put into practice because they recognized the significance of an event and what transpired. Like for hundreds of years, Americans stop and pause every July 4th to celebrate our independence, freedom. And my guess is, as long as America stands, as long as this country exists, that day will be celebrated. Now, how many of you still stop and pause, actually remember, have it circled on the calendar, the day on which you graduated from high school? Like, do you know the date? I know you know the year because you probably had some kind of cheer. I mean, mine is 90. It's easy to remember, but I can't remember outside of the month of May what day it was, literally, that I was a graduate of Michigan Lutheran Seminary. And I definitely don't celebrate it. Your birthdays get circled and and probably celebrated. Some of you don't like to acknowledge the number, but we still recognize the blessings of a year gone by and ask for God's blessings on a year ahead. The amazing thing about Google calendars and online calendars, guys, is we can actually put it in there and it will repeat for us so we don't forget our kids' birthdays and our anniversary. Like, it is an amazing thing. They're, they're there every year. But you know what is probably not going to happen? Like, eventually, Pastor Tim will cease to be on the face of planet Earth and my kids might remember for a few years, oh, that was dad's birthday, but will my grandchildren stop and pause and remember August 10th? Probably not. Like some days last, some days don't. 
some, the significance of some for us as Christians or Americans or as citizens or in our personal life last and some don't. And we're going to find one of those in the Jewish calendar that has stood the test of time today. You heard me read about it before, Purim. How many of you have ever celebrated Purim? Raise your hand. I didn't think so. How many of you have ever heard of Purim before this series? One or two of you, right? You don't count. Pastor in the house. <laughs> and so you might say, what does this have to do with me? Why, why is this significant? Well, what I pray today is not that you go home saying we should celebrate Purim in our house, but, but what we can learn about why the Jewish people some 2,500 years ago believed it was important for them to celebrate it and why Orthodox Jews still today celebrate it. And what can we learn from them? Maybe what mistakes did they make along the way that have changed their celebration that we don't want to make in ours, especially spiritual ones? And to really understand the, the reason for the celebration is the name of the holiday. You heard me read it before, but in order to really understand the impact of what Mordecai was, was writing about, why he named it the way he did, it goes back to chapter 3. How many of you remember back in chapter 3, the focus of our attention, whether you're downtown or here at our campus, Pastor Jim preached on it, Pastor Mike downtown, we talked about Haman's wicked plan, the genocide of the Jewish nation. He wanted to eradicate every man, woman, and child of Jewish descent from the face of planet Earth, wipe out King David, wipe out Abraham's family tree. And he had this plan, he created this document, he was going to send off this decree, and in order to figure out what the date would be for for the execution of, of the Jewish race, Haman cast lots. I'm not sure exactly what the lots were, but I'm going to use a visual we can relate to. Haman rolled the dice. One way, shape, or fashion, whether he had 12 sticks in a, a jar and he pulled one out to identify it, whether he rolled dice to see what number would land on, Haman and his plan was determined by the lots. In the 12th year of Xerxes, in the first month, the month of Nisan, the pure was cast in the presence of Haman to select the day and month. The plot was laid out prior to those verses, and in order to find the execution date, Haman cast lots. Now the Persian calendar was the calendar of the ancient Babylonians, the one they adopted. It was a 12-month calendar, just like we have, uh, it was a 360-day calendar. Uh, their calendar wasn't split up like ours, nor did they start at the same time as we start. Like January is our first month. Their first month was literally around the end of February, beginning of March. They did it within the seasons. So when spring and new life came was their New Year's time. So understand what time of year this was done in. Uh, it was around end of February, early March. And, and Haman says, we're going to leave it to the fates. We're going to leave it to the dice. We're going to roll the lots. We're going to cast the lots. You understand that the lots that they were casting had one of 12 options. Because there were 12 months. And for the sake of my comparison, if it was some kind of device like dice in casting the lots, the number that it fell on was the 12th month the least likely of the odds. Like, you know what the odds are to roll two sixes? 
You know why when you go to bars and there's bar dice, I know none of you guys do that kind of stuff, but you give them a couple dollars and you want to hit the jackpot and when you have to hit like five sixes in two rolls, you know how hard it is, right? There's a reason why the pot grows to like $500. Because people can't roll them. It's hard, it's against the odds. Like it could have landed on anything from two to 12 if we're using two dice that are six-sided. If we're casting some other form of lots, it was a one in 12 chance, but you do understand the significance of it. When, when the lots are cast, it falls on the last possible month it could have been, the one that gave the most time for all the events to transpire and play out, for, for Esther to, to, to find out about the plot, for Mordecai to encourage her to have the discussion about the plot, for Xerxes to, to make a promise to Esther, for Esther to have a conversation. Like, we're three months down the road by the time it's found out, it's laid out, Haman is executed, and there's still enough time to send out a second message and decree from the king to protect the Jewish race from being annihilated. Which is why the name matters so much. Like you heard me read it before, Mordecai sends out a letter, encourages God's people to celebrate what happened and transpired, their victory, the funeral to festival, the, the mourning to, to joy and victory that we talked about last time, the the, the protection that they were afforded and the, the victory they were given. Like, look at the words of Mordecai as he records the events. He sends off the letters to tell the people of God to celebrate those two days, those days of victory in the month of Adar, the 12th month of the year, the end of the year is the time when the Jews got relief from their enemies and as the month when their sorrow was turned to joy and their mourning into a day of celebration. Like Mordecai understood how significant this was. Mordecai understood that this was no ordinary battle victory. Like there's a reason why Americans celebrate certain days, remember certain events, historical battles because of their significance more than others. There are a lot of battles. But why do Americans stop and pause and remember the, the battle of Gettysburg over some of the other ones? A shift, a turn, a significant point. See, Mordecai got it. And he got it in a way that, that I believe has this ultimate tension in the, in, the, in the book of Esther on display. Because Mordecai says, here's the date, here's the why behind the what of the date and why the name he chose. Because Haman... The enemy of all the Jews had plotted against the Jews to destroy them and had cast the pure, that is the lot, for their ruin and destruction. Therefore, these days are called Purim from the word pure. Like the word pure, the name for this holiday that Orthodox Jews still celebrate today is literally called Lot. The Lot's. Like, I think Haman understood the God's odds of the story, his story, uh, the deliverance of his people, and their fate came down to the lot falling in the best possible way for them. And before I get to the first truth that I want you to hold on to about how all this played out and what this celebration, uh, what we can learn from it and take away from it, I want you to wrestle with the tension of the why behind the what of Mordecai's words and his encouragement to celebrate. 
All along throughout this story, you've heard us say, and if you haven't been here before, this is the first time you've heard it, but remember whose name you do not find on the pages of the book of Esther? God. Like we're calling this God's odds. We see God's hand throughout all of it. It's not luck. It's not chance. It's not fate that this woman uh, and, and that Mordecai was at the right place at the right time. No, God's timing is always right. And God's plan always works out. We talked about providence and sovereignty. Like God's odds are written all over this story. But God's name is never once written and recorded in the pages of scripture. It's inspired by God. So he allowed that to be the case And I don't know who wrote these words, but here is my frustration about this part. Like, I can get that for eight plus chapters into nine plus chapters, what's being written and recorded is also being written and recorded on the pages of of Persian history. It's a historical event to not see God's name on it, but to hear the historical facts of how the story played out without God's name. I think I can be okay with. I think I can understand it. I think we can see throughout all of it, God inspired it and allowed it to be preserved on the pages of Scripture that, that, that God knew this, that his people would understand who was behind it. But there's just a part of me that's frustrated when we get to this point. Because if there's any point where it would have been easy for the author to bring in the name of God, it would have been here. But did you catch it before when I read it? Like the Jews celebrated the relief they got from their enemies. The Jews were joyous over the victory they had from their enemies. Like there's a part of me that just is frustrated that here of all places, it would have been easy to say by the author and God gave relief to his people. But maybe he did. Like, maybe Mordecai got it. Like, when you hear the name Purim, named after the pure, the lot that was cast, maybe just maybe, and my heart believes this to be the case, that that Mordecai saw that the whole story was against the odds, and it had nothing to do at the end of the day with with Esther and, and him and his fortune by being by the gate at the right time to hear the plot against the king, first of all, to, to catch whispers of, of Haman's wicked plot, to, for Esther to get the courage to go and talk, for the king, uh, the male chauvinist, to be overwhelmed by the, his queen and, and ought make her an offer to do anything and everything up to half the kingdom. Like, maybe, just maybe, Mordecai understood it wasn't about him, his brilliance. It wasn't about Esther and her beauty. It, it wasn't about fate or chance or uh, being in the right place at the right time. Maybe naming it the, after the pure and calling it Purine, he got it. Because he understood the odds. That none of those things would have happened. That their safety and victory wouldn't have been possible if it wouldn't have fallen on the least likely number. That it was the hand of God in play. That the lot fell the way the lot did was an act of God delivering his people one more time. Because you know what I think Mordecai would have known? That he would have gotten? That oftentimes, Christians before him understood that 
lots can be cast and lots can fall, but the hand of God is in control. The will of God gets carried out. Like how many of you ever heard of the Urim and the Thummim before? Like this is like Purim or Urim, Thummim, anyone? They were part of the high priests, a gear and wardrobe that, that God put into place a thousand years before then. It was something that the high priests would use as a part of their conversations with God. At times when they didn't know direction, they would cast the Urim and the Thummim. They would use them for guidance to, to find out the will of God. When they didn't know what direction the Urim and the Thummim were used, like lots. Not because the Jews said it's chance or, or luck or, or fate, but we're going to trust God. Christians, New Testament Christians, remember the, what the disciples did after Jesus had ascended into heaven? After Judas had betrayed Jesus, eventually they replaced Judas with another person to, uh, for, to be the 12th disciple, the 12th apostle. You know how they determined it? They, they chose people who had the qualifications and then they left it up to the lots. And I don't think that would have been too far out of the realm of, of Mordecai's thought when he gave it that name. To not think about or name it after Esther, the queen's day, to, to not name it after himself, the, the big, uh, great Mordecai, the one who uncovered the plot, no, the odds of the lot were really what defined our lot. Because at the end of the day, I believe Mordecai understood this truth. And I think it's a truth I want you to take away from this story. I want you to remember in the book of, of Esther, like the rags to riches story is great. Uh, the impaling of, of the wicked man and him getting justice is, is something that we, we see in a good way, like God at work uh, bringing about justice for his people. Uh, we see Mordecai being elevated and, and rewarded for doing the right thing, for, for saving the king's life. But at the end of the day, throughout the pages of this book, this truth is number one. It's the God's odds reality of, of what's transpired in Esther and throughout the pages of scripture. And in fact, throughout all of our history as God's people, deliverance is a God thing. Like naming it what he named it, I think... Mordecai understood that everything that happened went against all the odds. It's God. And the odds turning in our favor are his deliverance. And Mordecai and Esther would have learned that truth. Like in their homes, on an annual basis, you know what Jews celebrated? Passover. Passover. For a thousand plus years leading up to that time, every year on the calendar, a date that was circled, one that they looked forward to, was the remembrance of God's deliverance of his people from Egypt. When they put blood on the door frames, the Egyptians let them go. They, they made way to the Red Sea and they crossed over it through a miraculous power and deliverance of God. And then God caved the waters on the Egyptians and saved them. No, they knew deliverance was from God. They celebrated it annually in their religious life. That truth was real, and it was real in the book of Esther. But that annual celebration wasn't the only one. More recent in history were stories about people like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who were captives in Babylon, who God delivered from the fiery furnace. 
Like there's stories of Daniel in the lion's den who wouldn't have been too far removed from, from this time. I'm sure God's people who, who lived in, in that area still heard about how he got thrown into the pit, but the, the lions didn't even take a lick of his cheek or a, a bite of his flesh. Like deliverance is, is a God thing. They would have known stories just like you and I learned when we were little kids. Like, what's one of your favorite Bible stories? Like David, the little dude with a sling and a couple of rocks, kills the giant against all odds. Oh, deliverance, David said, was not a me thing. Like, I don't need that armor. I'm not scared of that giant. I got God. <laughs> like, and that's the story of Esther. Like, there is no victory. There, there is no deliverance in this story if it wasn't for God, who was at work in the course of history to, to bring about their deliverance. See, the pages of Scripture say this. Deliverance comes from the Lord. Now, our lives are a little bit different, but we're no different than Mordecai and Esther or David or, or Moses or God's people in, in Egypt. Especially when it comes to our need for deliverance spiritually. Like the amazing thing about the victory God gave the Jews was that it made possible the victory that God brought you and me and Jesus. Like the family tree of David did not get annihilated. Jesus came 500 years later to deliver you and me. And I think Esther reminds us of, of that reality about God. Like from Genesis 3 to, to Revelation chapter 22, the story about God, the celebration of grace, the deliverance from sin is written all over the pages of Scripture and Esther is an ever-present reminder of the God who saves and delivers his people. And I want you to hold on to that truth as we talk a little bit about Purim because I really want you to think about the days you have marked on your calendars like the days we celebrate as Christians, like why we remember them, what we, what we celebrate in them, what matters most about them. Because if the truth is that deliverance comes from the Lord, then, then what we're going to see the Jews do in these pages is also something that's true for us to do. So the Jews agreed to continue the celebration they had begun, doing what Mordecai had written to them. So they, they say, yes, this makes sense. Our deliverance, our independence, our freedom, our lives, the fact that we were dead but are now alive is worthy of stopping and remembering annually, each and every year, to the end of time. That's really what they said they would do. We'll, we'll remember these days of Purim, and, we, uh, and these days of Purim should never fail to be celebrated by the Jews, nor should the memory of these days die out among their descendants. And Jews still today celebrate Purim. If you've never seen a celebration of it or learned anything about it, like I said before, it's, it's around the end of the month of February, early March, because uh, the month of Nisan was a, a spring month. Uh, so this is taking place in the time when, in our calendar, we're just hoping things warm up and, and new life actually comes up from the ground and the snow stop coming from the heavens above. But when Jews celebrate Purim, they still celebrate the two days. And you might wonder, what is the celebration of Purim like? 
Uh, I did some research on it. My uncle John wrote a book on it. He was a seminary, a professor, uh, seminary professor of ours. Uh, he basically described Purim like this. It's, a ver it's like taking our Halloween and our New Year's and combining them together in a celebration. So picture this. Like the kids, wear paint, kids paint their faces. They dress up in costumes. Uh, they make cookies uh, that are in the shape of an ear and they call them Haman's ear and everyone eats them and enjoys them and mocks Haman. And you know what the adults do for two days? Get hammered. <laughs> like it's a two-day bender. Like literally the rabbis who don't drink go on a two-day bender to celebrate joy, frivolity, life, everything like that. So imagine the kids in costumes with face paint getting gifts from people and all the adults drinking. Don't try this at home. Purim is probably not a holiday that we should celebrate. And that should make you sad, shouldn't you? Shouldn't it? Like why it was celebrated and what it's turned into? Even more sad should be the fact that the Jews, while they recognized this, this celebration was a God's odds moment, by the time God himself showed up, they weren't looking for deliverance spiritually, they were just looking for a, a worldly savior. They celebrated this every, every year. They celebrated Passover every year. They celebrated the Day of Atonement every year, spiritual holidays, national holidays, and they forgot about the ultimate holiday, the ultimate deliverance, and they missed the arrival of Jesus. In fact, they took the one who came to deliver them and nailed him to a cross. Because you know what this day has become for most Orthodox Jews? A worldly party. A national day of celebration of freedom and worldly deliverance. But they had removed the, the God who had performed these things against all odds. And I think there's a lot to learn in that for us. I mean, they had the word, we have the word. They saw it firsthand. We have the word that tells us about the firsthand events of the deliverance of God. If deliverance is a God thing, brothers and sisters, I pray that, that what we never stop celebrating is, is God. And celebrating God is a good thing. Like 4th of July, great. Birthdays, amazing. Anniversaries, guys, don't forget them. Like celebrating when you graduate from school, do it. Like there are raises and promotions and things this world uh, that take place that you should celebrate. But at the end of the day, at the top of the list, what matters more than anything when it comes to, to celebrating and deliverance especially spiritually and all the things that we have and all that we have to look forward to, brothers and sisters, celebrating God trumps them all, and it is a good thing. Because you know what God did for you? He delivered you spiritually. Like, look at these words in the New Testament. He de was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. You and I were dead in our sins. The odds were 100% not in our favor, but God turned the odds when he turned his son uh, and sent him to earth to become one of us and he went to a cross so that you and I might have life and have it to the full. He was delivered over to death for our sins, raised to life for our justification. And now God's odds are in our favor. We have life. 
Look at the words of the Apostle Paul. He said, Give joyful thanks to the Father who's qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. He's rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. You and I have been delivered from our sins and we are destined for heaven. God is worthy of celebrating. And you know what we have in our calendars, just like Jews had in their calendars? Events and times to celebrate those days. And I highlight all these things in the story of what the Jews have in Purim and how they've turned it into to anything but God so that you and I never forget that celebrating those spiritual days, celebrating those events, celebrating the deliverance of God and what we celebrate on that day that is truly good and, and most important is Him. Like kids, presents under trees are great, but the gift of God is what Christmas is all about. Like Pastor Tim, when people ask you what you're looking forward to most this Christmas, don't begin with the list of the amazing food that's always on the menu. Begin with the amazing feast that is in store for, for all of us in heaven because Jesus came to earth. Like when you get to Easter, when you celebrate Holy Week, like there are a lot of amazing things, getting together with family, candy and, and food and and all of the above, but what makes Easter Easter is celebrating God and deliverance from sin. That we've been rescued. And that's what makes me sad about the story of Esther. Like, it's so interwoven with God and deliverance. And yet God has been forgotten from the story. Like when they read the book of Esther in their Purim celebrations, they have noisemakers that they wail and crank up every time Haman's name is acknowledged because they just want to mock it. And as fun as that probably sounds, it's sad that, that God isn't front and center in the story. And I don't want that to be our story. Which is why I want you to remember one thing, maybe it's an action step for you, about your calendar. You know what your calendar does? Helps you celebrate. Like as we get close to December 24th and 25th, I pray that your heart starts to grow in anticipation of that celebration, not because the decorations and the lights, but because it's celebrating God and his son who came to earth to deliver. And circle Easter, a celebration of spring, after those six weeks of repentance in Lent, celebrate God. New life in Jesus, deliverance through the cross, sins forgiven, relationship restored. The calendar helps us celebrate. And so that we don't forget that, I pray that you remember to use your calendar to help you celebrate. Like, you know what's amazing about the calendar? What happens every week? Thursday and Sunday. Like, circle them on your calendar. Because you know what we do here in church each and every week, Thursdays and Sundays at St. Peter in the Core? Celebrate God. Remind ourselves of deliverance. And the more we do that regularly, those big celebrations are, are front and center focused on him, first and foremost. The calendar helps us celebrate weekly, annually. And you know what it does for you and me? It helps us celebrate daily.
Like if you have one of those day calendars where you turn the scripture verse to the next one, celebrate God. <laughs> celebrate God each and every day in your grow root to, to be reminded of forgiveness and find joy in the deliverance that God has given you. Because each day, his mercy is new every morning. And because one day, he'll take us home to heaven. And I pray that's what we do. Like we see the story, the God's odds moments, but we don't have to have amazing odds to figure out that very clear truth. That God delivers and that celebrating God is good. Let's do that right now. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, the evidence of your goodness is all over the story of Esther. And the evidence of your goodness is all over our lives as well. What we see on the pages of scripture, your story points us to the story, the, the ultimate act of deliverance in Jesus, our Savior, who came, who died, who rose, who lived a perfect life, who paid the price we couldn't pay. Lord, we thank you for that evidence because it reminds us that deliverance is a God thing, which I pray, Lord, doesn't leave our heads, disappear from our hearts like it did for your people so long ago. Because Lord, we need to celebrate that. That deliverance that is a God thing is a good thing to remember. And it's all over our life. And help us incorporate into the daily, weekly, annual routine of our spiritual lives so that we never forget and that one day we get to celebrate it with you in heaven. Lord, thank you for your story and how you are in Esther and how you are a part of our story for eternity.